That's right. <laughs> so I'm so stoked that we're starting off 2021 with this unit specifically, but unit five is the cardiovascular and immune system. What could be a hotter topic right now? Who knew that something as simple as scientifically proven and pretty well-known and documented body functions would be the subject of political controversy and Twitter shutdowns throughout an entire year. Nobody saw that coming. Oh wait, some of us did, but by and large, it is unexpected. The heart beats like this. Ah, depends on your political party. So strange to me. I mean, these are things that are not uh, not things we wonder about. There are things we know, like, you know, just simple facts that you can observe and watch happen. But here we are questioning our existence as usual as we go, you know, post age of reason. Uh, and we have to um, create new, new gods for ourselves in science. So um, here we go on the cardiovascular system, chapter one. Welcome back to Nutrition 101. This is our um, book study looking at Deborah Rayburn and Co's fantastic Nutrition 101 Choose Life book. So we're reading together, we're following through the book together, and then we're getting together weekly to discuss it and go over some of the highlights from the book and um, sometimes share if we did any of the activities or any of that good stuff. So the cardiovascular, the, so there's, you have a circulatory system and you have a cardiovascular system. Are these two different things? We do hear them used almost interchangeably. For the most part, you're getting across the message. We're talking about blood and vessels, but the circulatory system is your organ system. So that moves nutrients, gases, and waste to and from cells. So um, some people see that, see, refer to this as just the blood distribution network, but some people include um, the cardiovascular system and the lymphatic system in this definition. So the cardiovascular system is your heart, blood vessels, and blood. So circulatory is, you know, all the roads throughout your body where it's traveling. Cardiovascular system is both the roads that is traveling and then the engines that are pumping, you know, the little travelers out as it were. So we have a closed cardiovascular system. This means our blood never leaves the network of vessels unless we're injured and one of them is cut. By the way, I don't know what oils everyone has on right now, but I received this roller from a amazing crossline friend and I forget what she said she put in it, but I think it was sacred frankincense and sacred mountain. I know sacred mountain was one of them, but I forget what the other one was. Wow. This combo. I put it on my wrist right before we started. And every time I move my hand, I smell it. It's so good. But sacred mountain is a fantastic one. If you just want to, you know, calm down or, you know, get that forest bathing feeling for a few moments. All right. The lymphatic system is your lymph fluid, lymph nodes, lymph vessels. It will actually be talked about, we'll go over that in chapter three um, in conjunction with the immune system. Mom says, I have on that vanilla perfume we made. Oh man, that was really nice. Mom made a perfume at, when she was over at my house the last time and it, it smells really, really good. 
So the heart, boy, that, that is uh, <laughs> not the most talked about body part, but one of the most popular organs in the body that you hear about in literature and things like that, um, poems, things, you know, the heart is the, the sort of central focus of kind of where we think of emotions and things like that originating. And that's kind of a medieval idea. Um, but it is interesting that the heart actually does have um, neurons and some emotional uh, experiences actually are registered in the heart and can be felt as pain in the heart. So it is interesting when we have all these old phrases, you know, heartbroken and heart sick and my heart hurts. And uh, anybody who watched the honeymooners remember um, Ralph um, when he stuck his hand in his jacket, you know, like this. And he goes, you know why Napoleon had his hand in his, his jacket because his hand was cold. I have my hand in my jacket because my heart hurts. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it pops up lots of times in all our different um, literature things. Uh, when we say our Pledge of Allegiance here in the United States, we place our hands on the left side over our heart. This is to symbolize love and loyalty. And uh, in the Bible, the, uh, the New King James Version, our heart is mentioned 830 times. Oh, wow. That's a lot. That's quite a lot. <laughs> uh, the, I believe there is um, a verse that goes something along the lines of the heart is deceitful above all things. <laughs> if somebody can um, put that in the comments, the actual reference or the actual verse, maybe we can get that right don't want to be spouting, you know, misquoted scripture. Also, there's a uh, verse in Ecclesiastes, which is a great little tiny, tiny book in the Bible. That's just all, it's like the, it's the kind of book that people give you when you graduate. That's like quotes from John Maxwell or something. That's basically what Ecclesiastes is. And there's a saying in there, a wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. Okay. So you're, um, Heart is not actually shaped. Oh man, you know what? I was gonna take a pig's heart out of the freezer just for um, cooking. I should have taken it out yesterday because then I could show you guys. Pig's heart is really, really awesome and huge and feels a lot like looking at a human heart. So um, if I get it out of the fr freezer before next week, then I will not cook it until we can look at it. I have three in the freezer, so we've got options. They're huge. They're gigantic. You can see the gigantic blood vessels. Um, okay, so the heart is surrounded by a double layer membrane, which is called the pericardium. And mom had a book when we were kids I don't know if she still has or not it or maybe it was dad's book I'm not sure I think it was a book that dad had when he was a kid or something it was a really thin paperback book about um a heart surgeon or heart surgery I forget specifically but that book was my guide when I wrote my first other world novel and there was a scene in the book where the guy um got shot or whatever and so I had to use that book to, to try to come up with all the terms so whenever I hear these terms it like takes me back to being like 16 or 15 and sitting downstairs and writing this stupid book okay the pericardium is um so that's attached to our major blood vessels and it's attached to the spinal column and diaphragm by ligaments so um 
stretching your heart, right? The inner layer is attached to the heart muscle, which is known as the myocardium. And then between two layers, you've got your, um, anybody who works on cars would know what the translated term is for this, but you've got a coating of fluid that lets the heart move as it beats while reducing friction. So you're thinking of pistons, right? You've got this constant movement going and boy, you'd be heating up if there was nothing to reduce the friction. Um, so that's pretty cool, the way our heart is designed. Our heart has four chambers. The upper chambers are called left and right atria. Uh, that's just a Latin word for room, atrium, atria. Then the lower chambers are the left and right ventricle, ventricles, and the, a wall of muscle called the septum. Remember, you have a septum in your nose. So if anybody wants to see what the definition of the word septum is, it must be some sort of like a division, separate, you know, I don't know. Interesting. Uh, we'll follow this with the Tuesday night course in Greek in Latin roots. How does that sound? I'm pretty sure I still have my Greek and Latin roots book. <laughs> Everybody's honestly, we're all like interested in learning everything. We don't even, we don't even care what we're learning. We just want to learn. So the septum separates the left and right atria and the left and right ventricles. And the left ventricle is the largest and strongest chamber in your heart. So there's four types of valves there. You have a tricuspid valve. This regulates blood flow between the right atrium and right ventricle. The pulmonary valve controls blood flow from the right ventricle into the pulmonary arteries. This carries blood to the lungs where it gets oxygen. So that's a good thing. And then the mitral valve lets the oxygenated blood from your lungs go into the left atrium and then into the left ventricle. The aortic valve opens the way for all that nutritious blood to pass from the left ventricle into the aorta, which is your body's largest artery. And we will be able to see when we look at the pig's heart. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty jumbo, I should say. <laughs> I mean, it looks like um, almost like those smoothie straws you get at the boba places. <laughs> not sure if it looks like that on a human. I'm not actually dissected a human heart so if you look online as Sabrina's like well if you <laughs> we're such such a family on here um if you look on the internet you can see lots of really cool diagrams that show the inflow and outflow of blood it will show your blood as red or blue um so so there's there's several types of blood vessels um, red or blue showing if it's oxygenated or not oxygenated. So the several types of blood vessels that make up your circulatory system. Uh, uh, oh, in A and P currently, nice. Um, air, air frames and no, I'm just kidding. I know it's not that. Uh, you're in anatomy and physiology. Oh, I have I have a lot of anatomy books from doing yoga teacher training. It's insane how much anatomy you learn because you're really learning how to basically do therapy on your muscles. Uh, Sabrina said septum, a partition separating two chambers such as that between the nostrils or the chambers of the heart. I'm gonna start referring to the wall as a septum. That's just where I'm going now. <laughs> separating the chamber of the kitchen to the chamber of the bedroom. <laughs> Stop kicking the septum. <laughs> so, 
So uh, it, I, I remember, I think I referred to this on one of our earlier calls, but when I was a kid, mom had the Moody Science videos, which is where I learned everything I know about science. And they showed your heart pumps this much blood and they showed like a train going and it said, you know, enough blood to fill this many train cars. They don't actually remember how many train cars, but I was just interested by the image because they kind of overlaid it with like blood flowing, you know? So of course I thought that was so cool, but I just remember being like, how does that much blood fit in your, like, there's no way that much blood fits in your body. I didn't understand at the time. I was probably five. Give me a break. That they, that it was um, recirculating right over and over. So <clears throat> the blood vessels carry um, your blood from the heart to the rest of the body. So they start in your heart as large arteries, those big jumbo thoroughfares, you know, I-5 major highways. Then the vessels decrease in size into arterioles, just like your arterial roads. So you've got a road that's smaller than a highway or smaller than like the I-5 or whatever. Um, but it's got a line down the middle. It's still pretty, pretty decent size for moving lots of traffic. And then into tiny capillaries, that's the unmaintained primitive, you know, county roads, the gravel roads like we have out here that just go into neighborhoods and, um, you know, don't have a line down the middle and they say no parking on the side or whatever. So they get smaller and smaller as they reach organs, fingers and toes. Then the blood goes back to your heart through venules and veins. And some of the veins and capillaries you can see through the thin skin layers of the body. I have a friend who has super, super, super pale skin. You can literally see like all her blood vessels. It's amazing. So the blood vessel known as your aorta, that's the main blood supplier to the body. Um, that's the young living warehouse, right? That's where it all starts. <laughs> it goes out, you know, distributes to people. And then some people like, you know, you sell a, just a little bottle of thieves to somebody, you know, maybe they didn't sign up. That's your um, capillaries right there. <laughs> um, and it all, it's all part of the same system, right? Like without the, you know, aorta looks so important. Capillary looks so inconsequential. Um, but without the capillaries, you've got no fingers, you know, um, of course, if the aorta goes away, you really have a major problem, but you know, so the right, the, the two coronary arteries, they branch off into smaller arteries and these supply the oxygen rich blood to the entire heart muscle. Um, how your heart works. So we, <laughs> you've seen, um, Everybody's probably seen at least one movie where they, you know, say, get the paddles and, you know, somebody back to life or whatever. I feel like most people have seen at least one movie where that happens. Um, so this is the electrical impulses from the myocardium. If you remember, that's the inner layer attached to the heart muscle, um, which then has that fluid um, friction preventing layer and then the pericardium outside of that. So the myocardium um, receives an electrical impulse that causes the heart to contract. So this begins in the uh, sinoatrial node, which is at the top of your right atrium. And some people call that the heart's natural pacemaker, Deborah says here. So then this electrical impulse goes through the muscle fibers of your heart and causes them to contract. Um, 
I also remember another thing we had when I was a kid was a first aid kit and there was instructions inside on how to do CPR on somebody. This is not CPR, but it's coming to my mind as similar. And I remember thinking like, oh, well, you know, just based on the pictures, I don't think I could even read at the time, but um, looking at the pictures, which I examined closely and I thought, okay, well, it doesn't even matter then if someone dies, you can literally just bring them back and laugh this way. Like, what's the big deal? <laughs> That's what I thought. The fibrillator? No, it was somebody doing CPR in a, just in a first aid, um, like a first aid instructions thing. Oh, I thought you were yes, about yes, the, a the defibrillator. Paddle. But yeah, a defibrillator is the paddles. Yeah, yeah, the defibrillator is paddles. Um, the pastor of our church that I went to growing up, actually, um, some, he, he felt like something was wrong and his wife just threw him in the car and went to the hospital where his heart stopped in the emergency room and they, you know, zapped him back to consciousness or whatever. And he was so, um, moved with shall one say by the fact that if he hadn't been sitting in the hospital where the defibrillators were that he would no longer be here that he had them purchased and installed all over the church just in case <laughs> so you'll see them sometimes you know break the glass you know in case of emergency or whatever so blood is made up of blood cells and plasma um mostly water so keep drinking water because if you think about it if you don't refresh that water, it's just going to keep going around. Um, and then a particular type of your body fluid that, um, or the, the, the water is um, a particular type of body fluid. The blood is a particular type of body fluid that transports nutrients and oxygen to cells, carries waste away from cells. So if you've ever had somebody say, you know, oh, I hurt my shoulder, so they're going to ice ice and heat it. So what they're doing is, you know, you need to ice it, you're constricting the blood vessels and then you heat it and you're expanding the blood vessels. So they're trying to kind of do that on a rotation to increase the blood flow coming into their shoulder because that brings more nutrition into their shoulder and takes away waste and, you know, is hopefully helping to speed up the healing. So that's why we use things like Coolazool pain cream to put on, you know, our low back. If it's aching or um, joints and things like that, bruises, you'll see it listed um, on their box as FDA over-the-counter recommendations for bruises and arthritis and back pain and things like that, because it's doing that um, heating and cooling action and helping to stimulate the nutritive flow of blood. So plasma is 90% water. It makes up just over half your total body fluid. Um, it contains dissolved proteins, glucose, mineral ions, hormones, carbon dioxide, platelets, and blood cells. Then you mostly have red blood cells. These are called erythrocytes. They're indented discs. They contain hemoglobin. This is an iron-containing protein that facilitates the transportation of oxygen, says Deborah Raber. So that's your bright red oxygenated blood. Um, you know, you, you cut your finger and you see red blood, but then you see your blood vessels and they're blue, right? So she talked about the blood vessels or the, um, the venules and veins that you see carrying blood that you can see through your skin are carrying the blood back to your heart. That's why you see the blue ones. But then when you cut your finger, of course, uh, now it's going to be red. So blood vessel or blood cells, red blood cells live about four months. And every day you make new red blood cells in your bone marrow. White blood cells are leukocytes. 
These defend us against foreign material. Uh, that could be anything you encounter on a daily basis. Um, a shoeless here, bacteria and viruses. Um, you don't have as many white blood cells as you have red blood cells. Uh, white blood cells don't live very long. Uh, they can live just a few days up to a few months, whereas the red blood cells you remember live up to four months. And so your bone marrow is constantly making more. If you're fighting an infection, you know, you, you hear people say, oh, their white blood cell count was really high because their body is just like crazy trying to fight all those viruses or bacteria that's in the way. And you have platelets, those help with clotting. It's so hilarious. I think I mentioned this one too, when we talked about skin, but that when we did the, um, when we did the, uh, what was the book called mom? The body book, I think it's just called the body book. Uh, Sabrina, Caden would probably love this, but the body book was just one of those books where like you color and then you like cut them out and kind of tape them together. So you like can unfold the layers of the body and see like your heart and everything like that. And we I still remember. Like that. Um, we have, we got a science unit from Good and Beautiful that what that's like the human body. Uh, there's like a part one and part two, but um, there's so many fun things and like we're learning about the bones and stuff. So it was like yeah. taking toothpicks and like wrapping them in like, like Play-Doh and like trying to make a person stand up or oh, trying to make so cute. lots and lots of fun things like that. It just, that actually just makes all of it come alive way more than just like reading the description on the page, yeah. you know? <laughs> totally. Yeah. You read the description and we're like, yes, the information is coming in, but you can only retain so much. I mean, out of everything we talk about tonight, we'll probably remember a little bit from the beginning and a little bit from the end. Right. Unless it's something that just totally lands with, you know, something that we're also experiencing. But I remember mom saying during that, when we were talking about the cuts and she was just saying like, come on, little platelets, when you get cut, say, come on, little platelets, because they'll claw up at the surface of your skin. So remember, vitamin K is our blood clotting vitamin. Um, it's abundant in dark green leafy vegetables. Actually, lamb's quarters, which is, um, I think, mostly known as an invasive weed in most places. It's a weed out here um, in Washington. I haven't seen any here on the property per se, but it's a weed in Washington. But it's really high in vitamin K. So fantastic one to be eating, um, you know, as you um, maybe you're getting ready for a birth or something like that. So. And then there's blood tests. And this is when you take a blood from a vein or artery, they're analyzed at a laboratory and they can tell you a lot about your body. Um, Ray just said, I learned if the blood is deep, deep red, it can mean dehydrated and low nutrition like potassium. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, your blood can tell you a lot, even just visually, but then also taking it to a lab, um, of course, even more. So physicians can also check, Deborah says, your kidney and liver function. So... Um, it is really cool. You can do, um, like if you, you are getting a blood test done from a doctor, you can ask for more things to be done. You know, sometimes I'll just do like a basic, even if you're having them look for like a, a MTHFR, for instance, they typically only check for the four most common ones. So, you know, you can say the more informed you are about what you want to know, then you can say, Hey, I want you to check for all the MTHFR gene mutations or different mutations that you're interested in. in. Um, so that's good stuff to educate yourself on. And then we have different blood types. There's A, B, A, B, and O. And then each type is also classified by an RH factor, positive or negative. 
Um, there's some other organs that are in our circulatory system. They're, they're all important. You have lungs involved without your lungs. There is no reoxygenating of your blood. Then you have kidneys and urinary tract. And that includes urinary tract includes kidneys, ureters, bladder, and urethra. And these help your circulatory system to get, they extract out a lot of what is just needs to get out of so excess um, fluid. You know, you drink more water than you realistically need for your, you know, just volume of blood, obviously, because there's other things water does in our body. Um, and uh, salts, toxins can come out through urine. Um, and then they help to maintain, you know, your balance, the balance of water in your body. So you should have two kidneys. Some people are born with just one and you can live with just one. Um, if one kidney is taken out, your body will take over the, or your other kidney will take over that job of filtering it out. And you hear sometimes those, you know, heroic stories, somebody who donated a kidney to, you know, a stranger or a spouse or somebody, you know, who needed a kidney. So then the liver Um, this is a complex organ. It is also a gland. It's Sabrina's favorite one to talk about. <laughs> we still need Sabrina's liver t-shirts. <laughs> um, it produces bile and this breaks down fats. You'll see this when you, um, butcher birds, actually. It's amazing how this, um, butchering is informing my nutrition 101 class, but, uh, you know, they'll have like, like, this is where the bile is. Don't break it. You spoil the meat, you know? <laughs> yeah. Sabrina's like, yes. Uh, she's butchered birds out at, um, Becky's before. So she knows what's up. Um, they all, they filter your nutrients, um, and byproducts of digestion out of your blood. It is one of the organs that we talk about doing cleanses on because, of course, your colon always, always, always comes first. Must impress that upon everybody. Whenever you start doing any cleanses or any sequence of cleanse, you have to do the colon first because otherwise your cleanse just backs everything up in there and you're just worse off than you were before. But the liver is a fantastic organ to do a cleanse on just because its job is filtering. So it can get kind of congested. So there's no problem with doing your colon cleanse and moving on through other cleanses, including the liver cleanse. I think that's one of the cleanses we're doing in the, is that one of the cleanses from the class we're doing on Saturday? Where's my paper? Is this the paper? No, that's not the right paper. I don't remember if that's one of the ones we're doing in the class. Yes, it is. It is. We're doing uh, three cleanses and two detoxes on Saturday. We're going to go over and give you guys all the information on that and give you a little checklist that you can take home. And it, it's a watch now or watch later thing. You don't have to be there on the spot. You can listen to it later um, or watch it later. Okay, so the digestive system. This obviously helps the circulatory system um, through the digestion of food. So those nutrients, you remember when we talked about the digestive system and how, you know, your digestive system has mechanisms to absorb up the nutrients out of the food and get it into your bloodstream. 
And then, um, so the nutrients get filtered through your liver and kidney, and then they get shot back through your blood to all the cells in your body. So you do want to have a healthy liver and a healthy kidney. There is a kidney cleanse you can do too. It's in the book, inner transformations with essential oils. Where is it? I'm looking on the shelf right here. Um, inner transformations you with essential oils. Um, I don't see it up here, so it must be downstairs still, but the colon cleanse is in there. The liver cleanse is in there. The kidney cleanse is in there. There's even a brain cleanse, but, um, that's, a, I think that's definitely up with the desk references and up top two books that every uh, young living member should have on hand, because it is definitely one of the books that I see getting burned and banned one day, but it is just so, so core. And she has cleanses in there that use young living products and ones that don't and some that mix and match, you know, different things, but it's really fantastic reading the hows and the whys of all the herbs and things in the young living supplements and just stuff to protocols you will not find anywhere on the internet or anywhere else in the world. Honestly, it's really cool. Okay. So that actually is the entire, no, not quite. So I was like, wait a minute, that's not, yeah, no, that is, that's the entire chapter on the, um, circulatory system and the cardiovascular system. Um, have you, has anyone on here ever donated blood or any, somebody, you know, has donated blood? Elaine has. I have. I have, I donated blood very regularly up until I got pregnant. And then I was always pregnant and breastfeeding. And then right when I stopped breastfeeding, we moved a million miles away from everything into the woods. <laughs> so I actually haven't done it since. Um, why did you donate blood, Elaine? Um, so when I was uh, five years old, I had, my I had a tonsillectomy done and they severed um, they nicked one of my arteries, but, um, they sent me, you know, I had my tonsillectomy. I went home and literally like, I think it was from the, what I'm told, like 24 hours later, um, it broke that artery and I bled out. So I got to the emergency oh room, my um, in a blizzard, my poor parents drove cause the ambulance was going to take too long. No. And they drove me. I remember bits and pieces of it. Um, and then I don't remember anything. Um, but what I'm told was I arrived DOR and um they revived me. I remember having my stomach pumped because of course all that blood went into my stomach. And then I remember waking up from surgery. So long story short of it is is because people donated blood, I was able to get my life back. So I think it's super important to donate if you can. And then I'm actually scheduled to donate, um, in four weeks because I have the antibodies to COVID. And so hopefully that'll help somebody who's super sick. That's awesome. Wow. That's yeah. a way more intense story than I was expecting. <laughs> yeah. So I have a really good why on that one. Yeah. Um, so a question she asked on here, a question you can ask people, and I'm just going to throw this out for you guys and see if anyone has a thought on it, is why do you think God put two kidneys in your body if you can function with just one? <laughs> Does anybody have a thought on that? Because okay, of Berkey filters, we put more than one in our thing to go faster. So <laughs> that. that is the perfect we haven't I looked like at the book for a little while, but like all I'm thinking oh. of is that gets those toxins out quicker. <laughs> yeah, 
That's phenomenal. I kind of want to know who was, I, I suppose I should look, you know what? I think that's what that book was about was the first um, heart transplant or something like that. Um, but I kind of want to know who was the first person who was like, we're pretty sure you can live with just one kidney. Can we please take your other? <laughs> I want to know that was. I suppose there's people who have had like no, one no. kidney shut down, so you know they knew, they've seen I it. Gonna say, I was gonna say like it's probably that like somebody kidney shut down and they realized that it was dead. Right. And right. you're like, oh look, I guess we can live on one kidney. Um, like my, my grandpa when he had when he finally did pass, one of his kidneys was totally dead. Um, wow. Stuff like that. Well, he um, had a lot of like really bad like hip problems like over the years and like he had surgeries and stuff like when he was like a baby and different stuff. He just was all over the place with this. And so he was in so much pain that he was taking like all kinds of painkillers. Um, and we're talking like, I remember him asking me to run into a gas station to get him pain meds one time. And I was like, they're called what? And it was Anison. I'd never heard of that before. But he took, I mean, he would go through like bottles of like that with aspirin and with ibuprofen and top, wow. all, all this stuff. Crazy. So, you know, wow. like his kidneys, all that stuff was just like under so much strain. So the kidney thing is really interesting to me because I knew that about him. And I knew that about like what, what obviously like these meds are really bad for that. Um, and then my grandma, she cleaned houses like for a huge majority of her life. Like she, I mean, she would go in, clean a gigantic house in the morning and then in the afternoon go and do another house like with all these crazy, nasty, you know, chemical cleaners. And she would be sick all the time. Like she'd come home and she'd need a nap for hours. Yeah. And oh, wow. um, so tired all the time. And she was like, if I have to do this type of cleaning or this type of cleaning, I like, I know I'm going to be basically out for like a week. I'm going to be struggling the rest of the week to get my other jobs done. Or, um, and then they actually went in to have another, a different ultrasound done for something else, just as a, a precaution, precautionary mm-hmm. checkup. And they happened to like switch over the, the ultrasound tech happened to look in the wrong, like thought that they were doing a, a check for a different area. She didn't read her thing close enough and they happened to look over her kidney found cancer in her kidney or early enough and they were able to comp- they took her kidney out it hadn't spread anywhere so they just got rid of the cancer completely that way she believes it's from all of her cleaning which I don't blame her I think so too um, partially that but also I think I have lots of emotions but um and then um like, you know store those emotions like when I learned what that you where you store those things and the kind of yes. life that you I was like whoa that and I'm sure it's like a combination of like those things together but yeah the kidney thing because she's been telling me all that like she has to go in and um get like a see a kidney specialist like every six months just to like they check her levels and stuff on things to see make sure the one kidney she has left is functioning properly right and so I'm very fascinated with the kidney thing because it's like Right. Well, that could be another reason why one would say we have two kidneys. I mean, of course, oh, you know, you could have two hearts. That's very necessary. Right. But, you know, for there has not been very long in human history that we can do a kidney transplant. Mom said um, in the inner transformations using essential oils or with essential oils book, she had that ramped up protocol in the book. Yes. And mom said I was in charge of the blood drive in high school. So I pretty much had to donate 
Yeah, funny story. They, um, the truck or whatever that takes blood donations came to our work a couple times. And one of the times that I went out to donate, then, you know, I, I enjoyed giving blood just because I liked seeing all the devices and stuff like that. And then um, I woke up the next morning and it was like, like, I was like, in this very, very deep sleep and everything seemed very far away. And then I started to realize I was not waking up the next morning. I was waking up in the truck. I had like passed out for some reason in the middle of the transfusion or not the transfusion, but the like taking the blood and they're like, Hey, how are you feeling? Wake up, wake up. And I was like, I can't believe these people are trying to make me wake up. I just want to rest. I just want to sleep. Like, just leave me alone. And then they're like, Hey, you passed out. I was like, I did. <laughs> they're like, yeah, you did. I was like, well, I, I don't know. I don't remember. I, was, I don't know why that happened. But um, Ray says Joseph Murray and his team performed the first successful kidney transplant in 1954 using a donor, the recipient as a donor, the recipient's identical twin. In 1958, Murray's team used the main PREN strategy in two human kidney recipients that they conditioned with lethal total body irradiation and donor bone marrow. Yeah, kidney transplants have not been around for very long. So um, that's a they good did continue. What's they that? Did continue, they did continue to say that they got the idea from the Greeks. Oh, that really? They, uh, they, in the text that they were reading that they said that they were able to live with one and still be strong. So he got the idea to try it. Well, thank you, Elaine, your people coming in. My people, you know. <laughs> Give on us that kidney transplant. <laughs> Listen, the Greeks were the early doctors, right? So they're going to get credit for that stuff. They were the early doctors, right? Well, so. yeah, they, it's interesting. A lot of their um, ideas that, you know, were uh, gospel for a long time and then were um completely thrown out and then now we're starting to find some of their stuff there was actually a crazy a lot of merit to it kind of bizarre well because greeks are crazy so uh, yeah well we well, we'll try anything they are. <laughs> that's right but but i mean but that's the uh, that's the spirit of invention or inquiry is willing to risk to try anything to try and yeah. yeah, you're you're reading all the interesting books, but no, but truth be told, like that's what it takes, right? It takes people yes. who are curious, yes. right? Yes. And they they had a unique aspect of ancient cultures in that they wrote a lot of stuff down. <laughs> yeah. They did. Not right. everybody was into that, you know, back in the day. Or that and they, they felt they were spiritually in line to do it. What's that? That and they felt that they were spiritually in line to do it. Right. Right. So for recipes for circulatory system, she has a heart healthy oatmeal with fruit. Um, and then uh, just instructions on cooking it here. I personally love pre-soaking the oats overnight. If you soak your oats overnight with just in warm water and just maybe a tablespoon of some active culture, not sauerkraut juice, probably not the best, but you know, kefir or yogurt or something like that, mix it in, just mix in as much warm water as you would typically cook it with. And then one or two tablespoons of uh, active, uh, active culture liquid of some form, because that will um, make your oats more nutritionally available for you. So uh, most of the nutrition, you know, you hear about, oh, there's, there's uh a folate and all these, you know, nutritional things in 
these different grains and none of those get accessed by the human digestive system without like a pre-ferment or a soaking of some, or very little of them would get accessed by our human digestive, digestive system because it moves through us too quickly. We do not ferment our food in our stomach. Um, and that's where they break down, you know, the, wheat and things like that are made to stay and and wait for the moist warm you know spring soil to sprout and release their enzymes and their nutrition which is why they don't typically mold in your cupboard because they're just they're all locked up they're waiting all the nutrition and goodness is all locked up and without unlocking that through some you know sprouting soaking or fermenting it just stays locked up goes right on through your digestive system and out the other side in the case of some grains you know it won't even like it will come out the other side as undigested as ever it began our dogs sometimes get to the the bird food and you can tell when they did because you will see it in like the scat do you call it animal like domestic animals do they have scat is that what you call it I don't even know, but, um, they don't digest it. Like it does, the, the chickens do, and we do soak it or pre-ferment it most of the time for the birds, but, um, the, the dogs, it just, they get nothing out of it. It's just like eating candy for them and it just clears out without breaking down in the least. And then the chickens are like, yay, and go attack. Because there's this, there's a coating, there's, there's a, an outer layer. It has to be broken down. Right. And and this, is, this is why seeds wait until they wait through the winter. This is your seeds mm -hmm. waiting. Yeah. It's protecting it until it gets to a nice environment where it can. So essentially, though, it's like, it sounds weird, but like fermenting stuff is pre digesting it so that it's easier right. to get. Right. You're just breaking it down a little bit and making it more delicious. Like, <laughs> of course. It sounds kind of gross because all I can think about is like, a cow chewing cud <laughs> but yeah like that's kind of who is that movie actress from the early days of hollywood um that said her mother told her never chew gum every time i see a woman chewing gum i just think of a cow chewing cud and so the lady said she could never chew gum after her mother told her that i can't remember who that was some biography how little things like that will stick with you forever right. like right um, I don't know why that to me just screams to this this there's this book of bible stories that we used to look at all the time when I was a kid and they're in this specific one there was the story of Jezebel and um, in one of the images she's like at the top of her little like you know her balcony whatever, and she's all eh, like shrieking because she's a nasty evil woman and she's got this like slathered on like blue eyeshadow and of course like Jezebel is supposed to be this like terrible like thing you don't want to be and so oh, in the future God. later on I was like exploring with eyeshadows and I and no matter ah. what I did blue eyeshadow I couldn't see the look because all I could think about was Jezebel <laughs> well the book did its job then it is trying to impress <laughs> the people not to wear blue eyeshadow they probably thought that was like evil or something <laughs> I know, and I'm like, I can't do it, and like, like Anthony's like, I think blush on looks great on you, and I'm like, I hate it, I hate it. Jezebel. <laughs> oh, what was Jezebel's husband's name? Mom, I cannot remember. Um, because then that's what you can call Anthony if you know if you wear the blue, <laughs> the blue I can't remember his name. Oh my gosh. Okay, well that's the whole chapter. We did 
we did it. We done it. We finished it. I'll end the recording. If you're listening to the recording, thank you so much for catching the replay. I hope it was helpful. Oh, his name is Ahab. Of course, that was Ahab. Yes, obviously. 